0: Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Shalom, everyone. This is Amir Safati, and this is a special teaching that um, really uh, was on my heart for the longest time. But in light of the coronavirus epi- epidemic and uh, the uh, crisis all around the world, and the fear and anxiety and so much that is going on and certainly in light of what uh, A lot of people around the world say this looks like the end of the world. Uh, What we see now are apocalyptic um, sights, you know, to to see no one in the streets of the busiest cities in the world, uh, to see the Vatican, St. Peter's Basilica area completely empty, to see the Jerusalem Wailing Wall is empty, to see the Kaaba in Mecca, uh, the whole area that is normally filled with tens of thousands of people completely empty. Um, this is something phenomenal to see world leaders contracting the coronavirus and testing positive to it, such as the UK Prime Minister um, and uh, Prince Charles. And uh, of course, uh, we're talking about wives of prime ministers and presidents, uh, such as in Spain and in Canada. And Celebrities uh, around the world—unbelievable. We're watching a, a a time, we're witnessing time that is unprecedented. Uh, I've said to many people that history is being written right now as we speak, but uh, those pages of history uh, might mean uh, something to some people, maybe in. Uh, a few weeks or months or maybe even years. I'm not even sure. But one thing is for sure, the pages of history regarding the future of this planet have already been written 2,000 years ago in a marvelous, special, unbelievable, and amazing revelation given to the Apostle John directly by Jesus himself through, obviously, an angel that came and gave him the revelation of Jesus, Jesus himself. It's it's a revelation uh, that was given 2000 years ago. Now, uh, we might argue on who is that John and when was that written? And I know that there are several schools of teachings, but we will do... Uh, We'll try to look at this book in just a few seconds. So why don't we just uh, start with a prayer and dive into this view of the book of Revelation. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. And we ask now that you sanctify us by your truth. Father, we thank you that uh, you know the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. We also thank You, Father, that You, by Your grace, reveal to Your children Your plans. And so we ask, Father, that uh, this uh, uh, time of uh, looking into Your Word, that You will also give us a spirit of understanding and uh, open the eyes of our hearts to understand the wonders of Your Word. We thank You and we bless You. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So again, thank you, everyone. And uh, again, I told you when we started that the the coronavirus uh, epidemic that is going on all over the world and the fact that so many people from over 190 countries are locked down. Basically, they're all confined into their houses right now in, in something that the world has not seen before. Um, and uh, I believe that uh, that triggers many, many people around the world to ask themselves, is this the end of the world? Uh, is this the end of humanity? And of course, um, we all know that um, epitomies such as this, um, viruses, maybe even worse than this, uh, came to this planet, unfortunately, Planet Earth is contaminated, uh, not necessarily by air pollution or emission of, of CO2, but mostly by sin. And ever since sin entered the world, that perfect world is no longer there. Now we have, after the flood, a completely different ecosystem that unfortunately allowed a lot of things such as diseases and viruses and natural disasters to come upon us. So make no mistake, um, sin is responsible to uh, most of what we see now. But, you know, nothing takes God by surprise, nothing. In fact, not only that, we can see through the book of Revelation that God is in full control. He knows all, He is everywhere, and He's all powerful. And so the book of Revelation is definitely giving us a picture of uh, uh, an amazing authority of God himself. Now, I will be very, very honest with you. Um, It it wasn't easy for me to decide to teach on the book of Revelation, because this is the book that I myself struggled with for the longest time as a young believer. And I stayed away from it for, for, for most of my life as a believer. And I believe that that's the case of so many. Christians around the world the book is scary and the book sounds fantastic or almost on the verge of fantasy the book sounds too uh, too strange with too many scary things that are going to happen and you know what a lot of a lot of uh, uh, symbolic things and a lot of spooky things and a lot of people think you know what I just stay away from it I can live my life without l- learning studying, in uh, knowing the book of revelation and and what breaks my heart is that this is the only book in the entire bible in the 66 books of the bible it is the only book that god says that anyone who read the book teach the book or listen or hear the teaching all those will be blessed in other words there's a blessing that is promised to those who teach and those who study the book of Revelation. And uh, the book of Revelation is not just a book to It's like a movie to watch. It's a book that you have to listen to and or read and then do the things that the book is asking you to do. And uh, we'll see at the very end what it actually wants us to do. But uh, the point is very simple. This is an unusual book. It's a book that most likely Satan doesn't want you to study. It's a book that prescribes the end of everything, including the end of Satan himself. And uh, no one wants to admit his defeat. No one wants to uh, publish a story that tells it and, and wrongly painted uh, in colors that are not uh, uh, do not belong to it and. Uh, and I do believe with all my heart that the only one that gain from believers not studying the Word of God is Satan himself. Uh, I'm talking about those Christians that don't study that specific book. And, um, and it's important to me that you understand that the book of Revelation is a probably the only record that we have of the end of the story. The only record that we have of the true full picture of not only the heart of God, but the plan of God. Look, when the Bible says in the beginning, then there was a beginning and every beginning has an end. And for the longest time, people were asking themselves, when is the end coming? Even the disciples asked Jesus, when? is going to be the end of this age. I mean, the, they knew there's an end to every beginning. And Jesus took the time to, to elaborate on that in Luke 21, in Matthew 24, speaking of the signs that are going to come and then even telling them, look, even such things, it's not yet the end, it's just the beginning. And then he continued and told them more and more things that only the book of Revelation in reality, um, in reality, is is elaborating on. So it's very interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about the timing of uh, the uh, writing of this book. Of course, one of the efforts of of Satan to cause you not to read the book is to tell you that the book is not relevant. It's irrelevant. Therefore, no need to read it. And by the way, show me one book in the Bible that... um, You know, it's irrelevant for us. I mean, there's no such thing. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would have removed it from the canon. But the thing is, there is a movement of people known as Preterists. And they believe that the Book of Revelation was fully fulfilled in the year 70 AD, when Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. And by the way, that's why they believe. Uh, that um, it had to have been written before uh, that uh, year. It had to have been written around anywhere between 66 to 70 AD, which, by the way, makes it almost impossible because um, most of the believers ran away from Jerusalem at the time. They had no idea what's going on in Jerusalem. They actually returned to Jerusalem after the uh, events of the great Jewish revolt against the Romans. In the aftermath of the revolt and the defeat of the Jews, some of them returned, and many of them never did. Probably, John was one of them. Um, now, the question. So, so now, another question is: Okay, so if it's not written before, and if it's not talking about the events of the year seventy, which, by the way, obviously it's not, because the year seventy did not have the lake of fire and it did not produce the millennial kingdom and and, and it doesn't have any uh, world leader that uh, performs unbelievable uh, 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 events such as resurrecting itself from the dead and all of that. All of these things, uh, you know, they are of the future. They're not of the past. But another thing is from careful examination of church fathers writings. We know that uh, the book had been written in certain uh, a certain time period of certain world rulers that could have only brought it to the point of either 95 or 96 A.D., right towards the end of the 1st century. And uh, by the way, this is the case of uh, also the writings of Paul. They were all written in the very latter part of the first century, and therefore, Paul did not really um, um, think for a second when he wrote to the Thessalonians that uh, the rapture of the church uh, had already happened. In fact, he encouraged them not to think that it had happened, that he, he told them no world events took place then at his time that would have caused it to have already happened. And so he, he, of course, encouraged them that it's about to happen, but he said, don't lose heart. And so we we truly believe it is a book that was written roughly 95, 96 A.D., way after Jerusalem is destroyed and temple is destroyed, Jews return back to Jerusalem. But uh, it's certainly without a temple and uh, without the sacrificial ceremonies. Judaism was scrambling during that time. To find a place for the Sanhedrin, to place, to find a way to worship God without a temple wasn't an easy thing, but we know that there is definitely in the Book of Revelation uh, no mentioning of that um, of the events prior to the destruction of the first temple, no mentioning of the actual revolt, and certainly no mentioning of. The uh, destruction itself, Um, if it would have been written during that time before it would have mentioned it. Of course, it's a big thing, but it was written far after that, when that is no longer a question and an issue. Now we're moving to a world view of events rather than just the one in Jerusalem. Now. Some people say also that uh, the writer of the book could have been an elder from the church of Ephesus that was exiled to uh, the island of Patmos. Well, let me make it very clear that uh, that's another thing that I believe is not true. Because when you examine the writing of someone, you don't only examine the writing of that person that you're reading, but you're actually examine the writing of the same person elsewhere, other writings, other books. And it's interesting because in the book of John, the Gospel of John, we can see that John was very much into signs and the number seven was very important to him. And they say that the uh, the the uh, the book of uh, John, the uh, Gospel of John from chapter one, uh, verse 19, all the way to chapter 12 is known as a book of signs. Uh, we're talking about the changing of the water into wine, the healing of the royal official son. The 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 healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the five thousand, the walking on water, healing the man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead—these are seven signs that were to 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 show that Jesus is the Messiah and that He is not a man. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. It's very interesting because you can clearly see clearly see that. Um, the number seven and uh, the issue of signs and, uh, and miracles or of judgments appears later on in the, gospel, in the, uh, uh, the same revelation. And uh, we can see the seven uh, seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. I mean, there's definitely the same style of the same person writing in the same way. So there is no doubt in my mind, it's the apostle John. And uh, one thing for sure, remember, the church was built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. All the prophets and all the apostles must have been alive during the time um, of uh, either predicting that Jesus is about to come. Or when he already came, being alive and seeing him, either seeing him, the resurrected Jesus, um, face to face, just like John did or having the resurrected Jesus appearing to them uh, in a regular manner, sometimes for years to teach them directly, such as the case of the Apostle Paul. So no doubt it was John the Apostle. No doubt it was the very end of the first century. And uh, as I said before, this book has a special promise to its readers and I'm reading. From Revelation 1, 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So there's a blessing here that is conditioned with what? With keeping those things. So first of all, if if the devil is trying to tell you not to read that book, he's robbing the blessing from reading understanding and doing those things. And uh, it's interesting because uh, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse one, which God gave him to show his servants and things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So it's very interesting because later on, I mean, we understand Jesus was given the things to share with the people. You know, in John 11, it says in verses 25 to 27, that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And then look what he says. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the the Father, except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So this revelation is the choice of Jesus to reveal Himself, the revelation from Jesus that came through the angel to reveal to John Him and the Father in a very special way. And that's why Revelation 1-2 says, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that what he saw. John saw the things that he wrote. He had to write the testimony and he had to be a witness to the Word of God. Look, there is no way the book of Revelation could contradict any book of the Bible. No way. The book of Revelation had to be what? The witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. And so uh, this book, what I love about this book, it's 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 just like back to the future. It's God by His grace. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning, remember. But God knows everything. We don't know everything. But God shared with us, not what might happen could happen, but what will happen, God already knows. It's like a a, a, a roll of a film inside a, a, a tape where God already knows the whole thing. And now he's sharing with us the end of the movie. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet, but we know through that book what to expect. We know through that book what's going to happen, and you know it's not the power of knowing what's going to happen is not just to uh, quench our curiosity. It's not uh, for the purpose of uh, gossip or the purpose of I know more than you do. What is the Bible saying? It's saying keep those words. In other words, there are things to come. There are things that we are going to see from here. There are things that we're going to see from above. And John, by all means, represents us here. And there are things that we need to keep. And there's things that we need now to do until all these things will happen. So it's very, very interesting. This book is super important. This book is a source of so many blessings. Again, just by reading. And keeping those words, you're already blessed. But we can see through the book what's going to happen to the believers in a world that is so evil. And these words are are told uh, only to encourage us, not to discourage us. I mean, you're going to see throughout the description of the book that it's them and us uh, because we are not of this world. The words of the book are meant not only to be read, but also to be implemented. And that is so important for us to understand. And the Bible is very clear. The time is near. Now, of course, many people think, how can it be near when John wrote it 2000 years ago and those many of those things haven't happened yet? Well, first of all, a day in God's eyes are like 1000 years for us and 1000 years are like one day, just like 2 Peter chapter 3 says. So. And God is not late, you know. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So, it's not like God is late. He's giving us more time to repent. He's giving the people one more chance. I believe, by the way, this coronavirus uh, crisis is a great chance for many people to reevaluate their life, reevaluate their their standards, reevaluate their time, and also ask themselves. Uh, What is their relationship, if if they have any, with God himself? And obviously, everyone understands, everyone agrees, God can stop this epitome. Uh, And uh, we'll see what the people in the book of Revelation are going to do, knowing that God can stop a lot of judgment that will come, yet uh, not asking him to. So, what time is near? The time of judgment. Look. a appointed upon man once to die and then comes and after comes the judgment. Judgment is something that is known from the book of Job, already known to be one of the earliest books in the Bible, all the way through the book of, um, uh, of course, Genesis to Revelation. Judgment is coming and, 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 and the time of judgment is near. It's going to be judgment time. And we know that the Lord is a righteous judge. We know that He will never judge us in an unrighteous way. Whatever we are going to get, whatever we're going to see that others get, whatever we're going to see that is a display of His judgment is a display of a righteous judge. And it's super important. We know that the Restrainer is going to be removed. And then the wrath of God is going to be poured over this ungodly world. And it's time to tell the story and keep nothing untold from everyone. That's the, This is the essence of the book of Revelation, to tell the story and not to keep anything from you. And again, remember, the book is they and us. The, the, a lot of what we're going to see in this book is not about us and for us necessarily, but it's for us to know if it wasn't so, he wouldn't have written that. Because obviously, who is reading that book? Who is studying that book? Who is being blessed by this book if not? the believers, but God wants us to understand that He is aware of what's going on around the world. He knows that it's going to get worse and worse and worse, but He is going to do something about it. We need to hold on to this, that Jesus, He is risen as promised. He, is, he will return to take us as promised. He will return to Jerusalem with us as promised. He will reign over the world as promised. And he will judge the world as promised. So why don't we start uh, looking at the book of Revelation right now? Again, 22 chapters. Um, and we start with chapter one, which is a look behind the curtain. Basically, we get here a glimpse of who is truly in charge of world events. And of course, is Jesus Christ himself who testifies that he's the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the truly in charge, but, you know, we know what is going to happen, of course. And before we move to the events, we see that Jesus is sending messengers to, um, or message to the messengers of the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is Turkey of today, which in in a very interesting way, messages that are, are describing the state of the church even today. Um, So in chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's uh, first referring to those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Before he takes his bride up to heaven, he wants to uh, tell the bride what the the bride looks like or what those who call themselves bride look like. So shaping up the church, Jesus sends messages to the first four churches in Asia in chapter chapter 2 to get their house in order. In other words, the first four churches in chapter 2 are not really churches that are perfect or churches that are pleasing Him in all that they do. There's a lot of household there uh, issues there. Um, we, we have the church of Ephesus. Um, we have the church of Smyrna. We have the church of um, uh, Thyatira. Uh, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea and uh, in Ephesus, where John originally came from. He noticed, he knew that the, they lost their first love. They lost their love. In fact, uh, the church of Ephesus, Jesus finds a lot of praise, but his heart is broken by the glaring absence love. It was just not there. The church of uh, um, Smyrna, Izmir of today, we see that the, the church itself had gone through a lot of persecution and Jesus tried to tell them the, of the attractiveness of the suffering. The church, again, we're talking about persecution uh, for their faith. And Jesus speaks to these men and women and reminds them that he is greater than any suffering, greater even than death. Wow, that's a message. That all of us needs to hear, even today, even nowadays, to the Church of Pergamon, and uh, you have to understand, Pergamon is a very evil place uh, that was there in Turkey uh, in the first century. That uh, Greco-Roman city um, had an altar for Zeus and an altar for a Lucifer, Satan himself. In fact. We know that it was known as the Seat of Satan, and Jesus refers to that. And uh, you would think that in a, in a city where there is the Seat of Satan, you would think that um, there's be, it's going to be great persecution against the Church of Jesus and all of that. But believe it or not, it wasn't the case in Pergamon. Yes, we know of a person who was martyred there and, uh, in a very gruesome way. But overall, um, we know that Jesus calls the city of Pergamon, not only where Satan is having his throne, but also uh, we can see that Satan's tactic against the church there was much more effective than persecution. He sought to corrupt the church from the inside. And that's, by the way, the case we see around the world. Even today, uh, we see that you don't really have to attack the church from outside in an evil place. All you need to do is to bring evil teachers who will teach inside evil doctrines and the church is gone. There you go. Um, we can also see um, in the church of Tiatira, uh, uh where Jesus telling them of the finding of a moral compass. Jesus expresses anger at the church of uh, coming to them with a rod of judgment and a sword to cut them apart. He gives them time to repent, but if they refuse His grace, He says, He will come in swift judgment. Wow. In other words, there's no doubt that Jesus finds churches where everything there is being done in an evil way, in a wrong way. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you time to repent. I'm giving you time to repent, but you know what? Judgment begins in the house of God. Interesting because uh, then we see the church in chapter three, the last three churches, the church of Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Sardis, of course, we see um, that um, it was a dead church that uh, is revived. The the church of Sardis had the the reputation of being alive, uh, vibrant, spirit filled, open to God's work, obedient to God's word. But as Jesus looked at this church, he saw a deeper reality. The church was not wicked or immoral, like maybe the one in uh, Theatira, but it was dead and unresponsive to Christ. And that's another danger that we become automatic in the way we do things in church. We don't listen anymore to the to the voice of the Spirit of God. We don't tune ourselves to what God has to say to us, we just become people who follow rituals. And by the way, that's uh, the definition of religious people. Uh, The people of Israel worshiped in the temple of God for the longest time, not knowing even that the Spirit of God left the temple. In chapter 8 of Ezekiel through chapter 9, 10 and eventually 11, we see how God couldn't tolerate anymore that in one in one hand they come and they do all their sacrifices, but on the other hand they worship uh, they worship uh, um, um, other uh, deities, uh, including the sun itself. Um, and we know that um, in in the case of uh, that church, they were dead and unresponsive to Christ. And then we see the church that uh, I hope all of us will always uh, uh, compare to, uh, and that's the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the brotherly love, um, is uh, we, we see a, a church that uh, you know finds us faithful. It's a church, the Bible says, um, in the city of Philadelphia that was a door to the Greek language and culture to spread, um, into surrounding regions. So it was a very important place. Um, and this, um, In the letter that he wrote to them, we see that new door of opportunity was wide open in Philadelphia for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was very open to a small band of seemingly weak and uninfluential Christians uh, in that place. In other words, look, small band of weak and uninfluential Christians. Aren't given the task to uh, use an open door and, uh, um, you know, just like us, you know, very small band of Christians, maybe like us, that have nowadays the biggest door ever. Every person today that speaks online can get to millions of homes around the world. And are we going to do something about it? Um, And by the way, this church. Uh, To this church, Jesus said that uh, I will keep you from from the hour of trial that is about to come upon this world, out of, ek. In other words, he will take us, not take us through, but out of. And then, of course, the church of Laodicea, which is unfortunately a picture of so many churches, even today, the church that makes Jesus sick, basically. Jesus says that this church, in Laodicea is lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. In this letter, Jesus expresses his desire for this church to see the reality of their own condition and of the world around them. So chapter two and three, we can already see um, are uh, basically like a prognosis of the state of the church today. But then something very interesting. Happens in chapter 4, in the very beginning of chapter 4, after Jesus addressed the spiritual and cultural condition of the churches then, which can easily be reflected on the churches today. We see that they are sky open, and a voice came with a trumpet, sound of a trumpet. Remember, when skies open, there's a sound of a trumpet. We already know from 1 Corinthians 15 and from 1 Thessalonians 4 that something amazing is going to happen. And the Bible says that a voice came and says, Come up. John is raptured, is caught up to heaven, rapturo, um, to learn and write about what was, what is, and what is going to come. So in a very interesting manner from chapter 4 to chapter 20, The church is no longer mentioned. In other words, up until chapter three, we hear about the church on earth. We hear what God has to say to those churches. But from chapter four, verse one on to almost chapter 20, the church is not on earth. The church is not even being mentioned or described in the events that are going to happen upon this earth. And that's super important that you understand that because this is one of the main reasons why. I and many others believe that the rapture of the church will be before the tribulation because what's coming next are the seven seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls which are the tribulation that is coming upon this world. In chapter 5, John is standing. Now he's in heaven. Everything is new. He's never seen anything like that. And he sees the elders and he sees the angels, but he, he sees the scroll and there is a a seal on that scroll, and, and no one can open that scroll. That scroll is such an important source of information of, of what's going to happen, information and hope and, and future and promises also. And only the line of the tribe of Judah and the land that was slain have the authority to open the seven seals and bring judgment on earth. And ladies and gentlemen, then we move to chapter 6, when we see the beginning of troubles and God brings His judgment by opening the seven seals of the scroll, one at a time. So much so that in chapter 7, we're already witnessing that God, by His grace, we see a mentioning of 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham's called people to repentance during this tribulation period. Resulting in a great multitudes of tribulation saints. That's not the church. 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel will call for repentance to the world that was left behind. And from them, people are going to be saved. And they have a new name, the tribulation saints, in chapter 8. We see ecological disasters. If we think that global warming or climate change or all of that is something serious, wait until hopefully you won't. But if you're here during the fulfillment of Revelation 8, you see the first four trumpet sound and God creates an ecological disaster. Followed in chapter 9 by a human holocaust when the last three trumpets sound and God spares the ecology but brings tremendous misery on the unbelieving, wicked population on earth. Wicked, unbelieving population of earth. Chapter 10 gives us a bittersweet moment uh, where John takes a little scroll and eats it and the scroll is sweet as honey in his mouth, but sour in his stomach as a sign of judgments to come. John cannot really uh, enjoy it when he knows what's coming next. We can see that in Chapter 11, Jerusalem is going to see preachers and earthquakes at the same time. It will hear from the two witnesses with miraculous powers. And the mass population wants them dead. And God permits the beast from the abyss to kill them. We see that after three days, they are raised from the dead, just like Jesus. And then they ascend into heaven, just like Jesus. A tenth of the city is destroyed by a massive earthquake. Wow, that is going to be very, very amazing. Now, I also want you to see in chapter 12 that um, there is, uh, you know, with all that is going to happen with world events. God did not forget to uh, mention what he's going to do with Israel. We see an interesting sign in heaven. And then we see, of course, uh, that John is seeing a woman, a child and a dragon. We know the dragon is Satan and he attempts to devour the child, which is Jesus that came out of the nation of Israel. And of course, Jesus is snatched up to heaven, Jesus himself you know, ascended to heaven and while the woman Israel is now going to be protected in the desert for three and a half years. So it speaks of the past protection of Israel that, and of course, we are still alive after 2000 years. But it also speaks of a very specific number of days that Israel as a nation will be protected in the desert. And yes, the desert could have been the the last 2,000 years of being exiled from the land. But the desert in this context is also a specific desert, a literal desert, because there's a literal count of 1260 days, which is exactly three and a half years in biblical terms. And we all remember Daniel chapter 9 when the Antichrist will rise and increase um, and, and, and you guys, uh, in the English, it says confirms the covenant for seven years for that last week, and then he will break it. Um, and, and that, of course, appears again in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Daniel time and two times and a half, three and a half years. And so we see that Israel is protected in the desert for three and a half years where we're talking about the latter part of the seven years judgment where now Israel is not just deceived by the Antichrist, but now they woke up to understand that he is not God. This is not for us. We have been deceived and they run away. And of course, God is protecting them because they're not done. He's not done with them. We know that in chapter 13, we see uh, two beasts. And if a beast is a sign of the Antichrist, it's in a sense two Antichrists. One is more of a political and, one, and, and new. And the other one is something that had been there for a while. It comes from the earth. And the two beasts emerge on the scene. One comes from the sea, and the other from the earth. The first is the Antichrist, and the second is the false prophet. But in reality, they are Antichrist one and two. Because, uh, you know, until uh, the one comes uh, from uh, the sea, there is the one that already exists on earth. We're speaking of how the world is moving towards a one world religion, and uh, the leader of that religion, whether it's the pope, uh, which is my guess or anyone that might be a leader of it, uh, he will be preparing the way in a sense for the emerging political leader that will emerge from a great uh, catastrophe that is befalling upon the world and 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 it's interesting because Right after that, we can still see that 144,000 Jewish evangelists appear once again. Only this time, they are presented as the first fruits to God, which means that there will be an evangelism explosion during the tribulation, resulting in many tribulation saints, many of whom will be martyred. If you think that it's hard to be a believer today, kiss that thought goodbye, it will mean that you will probably have to lose your head and have it been detached from your body if you believed during those days. Chapter 15 brings us to a refreshing uh, pause. Uh, This chapter provides a reprise of worship from all the judgments that came and are to come. But then comes one of the most saddest and tragic chapters in the whole Bible and, of course, in that book. Of Revelation chapter 16 speaks of the final set of judgment, the bowl judgments, and releases uh, and realize by the way that they are to devastate the earth's ecology and mankind's physical bodies. The sixth bowl judgment calls for the kings of the world to battle against Jerusalem, and this is of course where the term Armageddon is mentioned for the first and the only time in the entire New Testament. Armageddon. but before that. Remember, if you read, you see plagues that are coming upon the world. And you see that the people who know that God is the one who sent it, they acknowledge that. And he has the power to stop it. They still did not acknowledge him and did not give him uh, glory, but they actually blasphemed him. There's going to be such a spiritual blindness and such a satanic brainwash that the people knowing it's God and knowing he can stop it. They will not be able to even repent, but they will actually blaspheme the name of God. They will be so drenched with the satanic spirit. And of course, that will cause the great gathering, the Valley of Armageddon, On, of course, and the great war will take place 60 miles south of it in Jerusalem. They meet in the Valley of Jezreel to march up to Jerusalem. So we we see how it started with seals, then moved to trumpets and to bowls. The seals in Revelation 6, the trumpets, Revelation 8, 9 and 11, and the bowls, Revelation 15 and 16. It starts with false peace of the Antichrist, war, famine, death, the death of the quarter of population of the world that is destroyed, earth, heaven, uh, shaken, and 144,000 are sealed. They will act later on, of course, there is silent in heaven. And then the trumpets, the seven trumpets start sounding in chapter 8, 9 and 11. And third of the trees, the grass destroyed, third of sea life and ships are destroyed, third of fresh water, poisoned. third of the sun, moon and stars are darkened. And the first woe, we see the demonic locust that is going to come, which is basically demons that look like locusts. Then the second woe about fire and brimstone and a third of the uh, people left uh, are killed. And then the second two prophets preach and do miracles and Christ's reign is foreseen. But then, of course, in Revelation 15 and 16, the last seven bowls bring boils. All sea life is destroyed. All water is poisoned. Scorching sun will, will literally uh, cause people to, to uh, have great suffering. Deep darkness, rebellious mankind curses God as I said, the Euphrates River dry the battle that starts in Armageddon will and then go to Jerusalem starts and then worldwide earthquake, Babylon destroyed and huge hailstones look at the progression ladies and gentlemen we're watching uh, and the reason why I'm saying that is this coronavirus right now it's nothing, it's it's not even a foretaste, it's nothing. If this one causes people to be afraid, can you imagine how people are going to feel when all these great disasters are going to befall? And this is why I believe that when the Bible says that people live and, 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 and they marry and be given to marriage, and they do business, and and you know, like in the days of Noah, The days of Noah are not the description of the tribulation time. They're the description of now. You know, this pandemic will pass and people will go back to their old ways. And people will get back to maybe even worse. They they will probably go and say, Carpe Diem, live the day and and do whatever they want. But then when the real tribulation is going to come, the description that we have in the book of uh, Revelation is very vivid, especially in in chapter um, 6, in the latter uh, verses. Then the sky receded as a scroll, and when it rolled up, and every mountain uh, and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the common uh, uh, commanders, um, and the mighty men, Every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and no and, and in the rocks of the mountains, and they said to one uh, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's the true description of how people are going to be in the tribulation. In Chapter 17 is the collapse of worldwide religion. If if you thought that that religion will hold too long, the world religious system that formerly controlled the political and economic world collapses under the domination of the world powers. Chapter 18 bankruptcy of the world economy. God, if you think now the markets fell and it's tragic and it's over. No, God will destroy the political and economic systems in one hour. That's not what we see now. What we see now again is a little foretaste and uh, we're going to see something very different. Chapter 19 is the foreclosure of planet Earth. The Lord Jesus returns and forecloses on planet Earth, no longer. Do the kings of the earth have power for the the king of kings and Lord of lords has arrived." Chapter 19, wonderful chapter. Then brings us to chapter 20, planet Earth under new management. Ladies and gentlemen, 1,000 years millennial kingdom will begin once Satan will be thrown down to the um, bottomless pit. Earth will be under new management, but at the end of that time, Satan, who had been bound and is now let loose to deceive the nations once again. And that's also his end because he will call them from the four corners of the world for another Gog and Magog. And God will send fire and destroy him forever and ever. Chapter 20, we know your end, Satan. And chapter 21 and chapter 22, back to the drawing board, ladies and gentlemen, Recognizing that the old heaven and earth was defiled beyond being uh, solvable, God goes back to the drawing board and He designs and then creates a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. In chapter 22, ready or not, here I come. This last chapter reflects back on the Lord's promise to return to His own in a way The last chapter brings us back to our time, to our reality, and speaks of the urgency, the prophecy, the love of God, the hope for the believer, the wages of sin, that is death. And of course, for us, uh, the gift is eternal life. And then, of course, in chapter 22, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to be tree to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you. Jesus is saying to John, I sent my angel to testify to you. By doing so, by saying so, he's talking also to us. These things in the churches, this is testifying these things to the believers. We're not expecting a non-believer to read the book of Revelation and to be greatly uh, impressed. I mean, I am sending. My angel to testify to you these things in the churches, he says, I am the root and the offsprings of David and the bright and morning stars and the spirit and the bride. As a result of what we know is happening of what we know, Jesus is saying the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come. The Spirit and the Bride, we are the Bride, the Spirit is in us. We need to eagerly wait for His coming to take us to be with Him. We need to say, come. By the way, it's not it's not a, to be defeated when, when you want Him to come. It's actually the way we need to be all the time. I remember when I was very depressed uh, during my first few weeks in the military. I don't think I... I wanted to stay there a minute longer. It was very hard, very tough. And I remember every night when I was guarding um, in my shift, uh, I would uh, literally ask Jesus to come back. (laughs) I mean, for me, that was the comfort. I knew that if there is one thing I can rely on is that, and one thing I want to ask for is for Him to come back. There was a song I remember I used to sing, Ana Chazorna Yeshua, please, back, Yeshua, Melech HaYudin, the King of the Jews. Um, Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Look what Jesus is saying. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. In other words, If now people start changing it, they're going to be left behind and they will be going through the plagues of this book. And then it says, And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. If you're changing this message, you're non-believer. If you're changing this message, you're not saved. Your name is not in the book of life. You're not going to have eternal life. That's how important this book is to Jesus. That's how important it should be to all of us and from the Holy City also. You won't live eternal life and from the things which are written in this book. At no point, Jesus is saying here, and there's more things that I want to tell you and I'll let you figure them out. No, all the things that are written in this book, he says, and I want to encourage all of you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, he's that he's whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 and then, of course, all the way to verse 21. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Sin condemned us, only faith in Christ took us from the camp of the condemned to the non-condemned. And if you are not yet repented, and if you're still non-believer, you're already in the camp of the condemned. They're condemned already because he has not uh, um, believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's it's amazing. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And I will conclude in Revelation 22 verse 20. He who testifies these things says, surely, I am coming quickly, even so, the Bible says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your promise. We thank you for how important it is to you for us to study this word. So we can be encouraged by your promises to us and, be, and we can be thankful that we're not going to go through all those terrible things. We understand that those things, the plagues and the judgments on of this book are not for us, even by the way this book ends up with saying that if anyone adds or takes away or changes, that's the person that is, is, is going to uh, stay behind and go through all of that. If anyone is disregarding this book, if anyone is not holding on to this book, Father, we ask that this teaching of the book of Revelation will go as far as possible to bless the hearts of the believers and to con- uh, convict the hearts of the non-believers. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, and uh, God bless you. Share this message. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, BeholdIsrael.org.